Hello and welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable on Reach MDXM157, the channel for medical professionals. It's basketball season and our topic today is basketball injuries. I'm Dr. Sherwin Ho from the University of Chicago and my guest today is Dr. Timothy Taft from the University of North Carolina. Dr. Taft is the Director of Sports Medicine and has been a team physician at North Carolina for the past 35 years or so. Obviously, he's the team doc for the basketball, both men's and women's, and they happen to be the number one seeds in both men's and women's going into the playoffs at this point in time. Tim, welcome to the show. Sherwin, thanks for uh, asking me to join you. In your 35 years as team doc for the Tar Heels, I'm sure you've seen a lot of ACL injuries or tears of the anterior cruciate ligament. We obviously see a lot more ACL injuries in the female athletes than the male athletes. Can you tell us why that is? I wish I could answer that question absolutely, but we certainly know that this is a much more common injury in the women. The men's team at the University of North Carolina in the 35 years that I've been taking care of them has had three players with ACL tears. In that same 35 years, we have never fielded a women's team that didn't have at least one of their players with an ACL tear. And and the literature would suggest that the incidence of ACL injuries for women is seven to nine times that for men. So a lot of things have been suggested. There have been thoughts that this is an anatomical issue because of the wider pelvis and the alignment of the knee. Some people have suggested that it might be a hormonal issue. Some people have suggested that it might be a skill level, that girls tend to land with their knees straighter than boys do when they are jumping from a height, and we know that that puts the ACLs at greater risk. Some folks have suggested that this might be a muscle imbalance, that the quadriceps are so much stronger than the hamstrings, the muscles in the front of the thigh are disproportionately stronger than the muscles in the back of the thigh. But in terms of knowing absolutely which of these is the most important or exactly how they combine to make the incidence greater in women, I certainly don't know the answer, and I haven't seen anybody that has come up with absolute proof that such and such of reason is the reason why this is the case. What we have tried to do is to address those things which we can. We think that it's important for the women to have normal menstrual cycles, so we have them regulated in that regard. We work hard on a strengthening program to try to make sure that they have proper muscle balance. And then we also have them practice landing from jumping to try to make sure that they land with their knees a little more bent than straight. Now, it may be that we are intervening too late, that by the time the athletes get to us, they're 17 or 18 years old, They're obviously very skilled athletes already because they've gotten scholarships to come to the University of North Carolina. And perhaps when we need to be training these kids to land from jumping is when they're in elementary school. And maybe part of what we're seeing is a consequence of the demise of physical education programs in our elementary schools. So you do put your female athletes through some type of preseason or off-season regimen to try and prevent or decrease their risk for ACL injuries? That's absolutely correct. And I think that's the way most of us feel, that female athletes are definitely at risk for ACL injuries more so than the males, and that anything we can do to prevent the ACL injury is, you know, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure, so to speak. 
once they've torn their ACL, is there any role for non-surgical treatment at this level of sport? At this level, I think the answer to that is a qualified no. We do know that there is the group of people who have ACL tears that fall into the category that we refer to as copers in that they can cope with their ACL deficiency. But if somebody wants to get back and play intercollegiate basketball at the level we're talking about, I think it's unlikely that they would be able to do that without a reconstruction. And I think I would agree with that recommendation. The vast majority of our competitive female athletes and male athletes, for that matter, do best with surgical reconstruction of the ACL. Let's talk a little bit about back injuries. This is sort of a not well-publicized problem or injury that we see in our athletes, but particularly in the basketball athletes, we all have basketball players with back pain. And in your experience, have you noticed any patterns or specific types of things to look out for in the basketball athlete? Well, certainly most of the basketball players who have back pain are best managed with a good physical therapy program that involves core strengthening and stretching of the hamstrings and the muscles that attach to the pelvis. And most of the athletes will recover and do reasonably well with that program. One of the observations that we have made that I have a soft confirmation about this with other physicians and conversations that we've had is that in terms of doing lumbar disc surgery, surgery on ruptured discs in the low back, over 80% of the athletes, and we've only done nine of them here at the University of North Carolina, are in our basketball players. And they're all the big guys. So I wonder if there is not some sort of predisposing factor to lumbar disc disease and having a herniation and nerve root pressure that might be softly related to height. Our numbers certainly aren't enough to constitute an answer to that issue, but we seem to see a disproportionate number of disc surgeries in our big guys. Now, that's not to say there's a lot of them, but, you know, heck, there's not a lot of surgical disc disease in college-age people. Well, that's an interesting observation, something to keep our eyes out for in your basketball athletes with low back pain, be on the lookout for disc injuries, as well as the more common lumbar strains. And and in the younger athletes, the stress fractures or the spondylolysis that we commonly see. And I would agree with that. Now, that tends to be a little more of an issue in some of the younger kids. And we certainly see the spondylolysis in our gymnasts and in our offensive linemen. That has not been a big problem in our basketball players, but it certainly is prevalent in certain other sports, including the divers. If you're just joining us, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Sherwin Ho, and I'm speaking with Dr. Timothy Taft from the University of North Carolina. We've been talking about common basketball injuries, and we want to go through a few more of the more difficult injuries to treat. We all know and see patients with jumper's knee. Obviously, that's a basketball-related injury. Any comments or pointers on how to treat the high-level basketball player who presents with jumper's knee? Well, the jumper's knee, patellar tendonitis, is endemic in our bas. All of our kids have this to a certain degree, and we'll have a little bit of a flare at some time or another during the season. So this is a very common problem. We will treat this with 
making sure that their quads are, are stretched out because a lot of them will have tight quadriceps, and so we work on quad stretching. We do some plyometric training. We do negative training. We do the various physical therapy modalities, including ultrasound and stim. We will frequently use the counterforce straps around the knee. For the most part, we think that injections into the tendon are to be condemned because that will weaken the tendon and increase the likelihood of rupture. And while it may make them feel better, I think that's not in their best interest as part of a treatment program. Another thing that's helped us a lot that we play on a spring-loaded floor. So the stress of landing from jumping is not as great as it is when they're playing on a harder surface. Now, speaking of jumping and landing, the repetitive impact that we see in sports like basketball and volleyball, what we've seen and heard about are the so-called articular cartilage or chondral injuries in the knees of these jumping athletes, both behind the kneecap as well as in the knee joint proper. What's been your experience with these so-called chondral injuries or articular cartilage injuries? I think Greg Oden, the uh, number one draft pick with the uh, Portland Trailblazers, was out for this past season because of a chondral injury, and he obviously underwent surgery for that and is now taking a year to recover. What's been your experience or take on these so-called chondral injuries? We have not seen much of that in our college athletes. Now, Sean May, who played for us, had a lateral meniscectomy, had the lateral cartilage removed once he left the university, and he developed a chondral injury for which he had a microfracture, and he similarly is sitting out the season. But that is not something that has been much of a problem or really any of a problem for us here at the University of North Carolina with our athletes. We have not seen those chondral injuries in the Tar Heels. There's a lot of good research going on in that field, and hopefully we'll find a way to let these athletes continue to compete throughout their careers with those types of injuries. How to deal with the chondral injury is an area of emphasis in research, and there are several competing technologies out there, and we're all in the process of trying to work through those and find out the best way to treat the injury both for the short run and the long run. Are you doing microfractures in your practice? Yes, we are. So are we. Well, that's, uh, I think that's probably the treatment of choice now for the chondral injuries, and hopefully we'll come up with something better in the near future. I think one of the controversies, if you do a microfracture, is how long do you keep somebody out of activity? When do you let them go back? We tend to let them go back, I think, a little sooner than some of the national recommendations. And we've seen a certain number of these injuries. It's just that we haven't seen them in our basketball guys. Well, that's good. Partly conditioning and, you know, some of that is luck playing a role in keeping our guys on the court. Let's wrap up with a couple of more common and mundane injuries. How about things like a hamstring tear? Any tips? You know, for the various muscle strains that we see, we pretty much treat those the same through with all of our sports with aggressive rehabilitation. If they have a hematoma, a collection of blood, we will try to aspirate that. We have not tended to inject those with corticosteroids, although I know a lot of people have. But we get them going on a stretching and strengthening program and move them along as fast as they will go. Well, that was going to be my next question. Any role for corticosteroids? In your practice, not very often, I would take it. The answer to that is not very often for us. Right. Do you do that? Uh, I do not. I'm, okay. I'm, fairly, right. <laughs> I'm fairly conservative like yeah. you are and use corticosteroid injections on a very limited basis. 
particularly in the non-professional level of sports. Well, again, I want to thank you, Dr. Taff, for being my guest on ReachMD. This is Dr. Sherwin Ho, and my guest today has been Dr. Timothy Taft. He has been the head team physician at the University of North Carolina for the past 35 years and currently is busy taking care of both the men's and women's Tar Heel basketball teams as they head into March Madness. You got it. Thanks, Tim. Thank you. To comment or listen to our full library of podcasts, including this show, visit us at reachmd.com. Register with the promo code RADIO and receive six months free streaming for your home or office. Thanks for listening. This ReachMD program is featured on Sermo, a free online community exclusively for physicians. To discuss this program with your colleagues, visit www.sermo.com. That's S-E-R-M-O.com. When you join, enter ReachMD in the promotion box to receive a $15 Amazon gift card.